Welcome, 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 everybody to Thoughts of an Empath podcast, episode four. I am your host, Stevenson St. Ville. It is a blessing and an honor to be here with y'all today, man. It really is. First and foremost, gotta show love to God, of course. Gotta show love. Gotta show love to everybody taking the time out to watch, listen, stream, support, assist, everything, man. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. Thank you. Big, big, big shout out to the album of the episode, the late, great Nipsey Hussle, Victory Lap. Now, if you don't know about Nip and his work and who he was as a man and as an intellectual, definitely go do that research. You won't be disappointed. Um, Other than that, all I really have to say is the marathon continues. Yes, it does. So, episode four is titled Slaves. And I titled it this because over the past couple months, I found myself doing a lot of research, um, watching a lot of interviews and listening to a lot of people with extensive knowledge on black history and not the black history that's taught, you know, in February, you know, not all, not just all the great things that black people have accomplished over the years, but the, the, the negative side of everything as well, how you know, the racial climate between blacks and whites over the years since the first slave ship touched down in America. And because of my upbringing, um, I was never really exposed to this type of information. I was born and raised in Nyack, New York. It's a small suburb town, but my community was very diverse and inclusive, despite it being predominantly white. So I was never exposed to the kind of racial relations, like even with the police, I've never felt discriminated against because of my color. However, now with, you know, with technology and social media, we can kind of see the climate of things across the country. And I really felt it was my personal responsibility to go out and do that research. So I've been listening to a lot of different scholars, you know, such as Dr. Umar Johnson, um, Louis Farrakhan, Brother Polite, Angel Rich, Nipsey Hussle, and I really found myself getting caught up in that cycle of research. You know what I'm saying? Where you hear one thing and then you just, it just funnels to the next thing. And it's really beautiful, I'm not gonna lie. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate all the knowledge that I've learned over the past couple months. And it really compelled me to make this episode to really kind of put out, to share some of that knowledge, but also share my perspective of what I've learned. So. Of course, white America has played a huge hand in the oppression of the black community. However, they cannot take full blame. So what I've been able to do is, through my research, is really funnel you know, the information into five core categories as to how the white community has oppressed black America, but how we've also oppressed ourselves by allowing the oppression. Now, those five categories in chronological order are manipulation and self-hate, systemic racism and the destruction of the black family, the education and miseducation of the black community, financial literacy, 
And lastly, the lack of accountability and loss of the community mindset, which has resulted in our failure to mobilize. So again, I'm just gonna be sharing some of you know the information and knowledge that I've learned in my research, but I do encourage all of my listeners and viewers to go out and do the research yourself. I say this because you know the avenues that your research will take you may be different than where it took me. So now you're learning some things that I didn't learn and now we can come together and kind of you know educate each other. Now I understand that's a little bit hard to do with black folk because in all honesty, we are pretty arrogant. You know what I'm saying? When, especially when it comes to knowledge. Um, there's a quote going around on social media that says, educate me, don't belittle me. However, my response to that quote is, do you know the difference? And in my personal opinion, I really feel like my community does not know the difference. So therefore, we take education as belittling, and once that happens, we get offended, we get in our feelings, we shut down, and we no longer wanna hear what the next person is telling us. And to take it further, now that that education, that knowledge is linked to someone that is trying to belittle us in our minds, we don't even go out of our way to try and learn that information, so therefore we stay ignorant. But I hope and pray that this episode can kind of open up the conversation, influence us to go out and do research, and really get us to the point where we can share knowledge with each other without feeling some type of way if, you know, if someone, you know, drops some knowledge on the next person. So that could be like, the conversation can go like, wow, I didn't know that. I'm going to go do some more research on that. And we can really build ourselves up, build our knowledge, share that knowledge, and really mobilize and get us out of the position that we are now in this country. So I'm going to move into the first category, the manipulation and self-hate. So we first see the manipulation and self-hate implemented when the first slave ships arrived in the Americas. Now, what did the white slave owners seek out to do to their African captors? essentially dehumanize our color and sever the connection to our African heritage. And if you look through history, white America was successful in doing this. If you ask a black person today who doesn't have any ties to an African nation or a Caribbean country, where's your family from? They may say something like, hey, my family's from Alabama. Now, history tells us that there were no black folk prior to slavery. So how does that make sense? And that just gives further evidence as to how white America was successful in severing that connection. If you look at a lot of prominent black figures in society today, not many of them have African last names. In fact, a lot of them have common black last names, which also happen to be common white last names. So it's like, where does that blending occur? Where, how does that happen back in the slavery days? So again, you know, they sought out to beat the black out of us and they were successful in doing that through generations and generations of slavery. Now, next, the, there is a famous um, slave master by the name of Willie Lynch. Some of y'all may know of him, some of y'all may not. I ain't learned about him until about a month ago. Now, he was a slave master in the Caribbean, and he saw that, you know, American slave owners were having trouble containing and maintaining their slaves because we kept revolting and we kept fighting back. Damn, skip me. So what he came up and did was like, yo, 
Fellas, I see y'all having some trouble with y'all slaves. So what I'm going to do for you is give you a foolproof plan on how to contain and maintain your slaves for the next 300 years. And the plan was pretty simple. Devise demographics to implement into the black community, into the slave community, and basically instill hate so that we are influenced to fight amongst each other. So now you have the men fighting against the women. You have the light skins fighting against the dark skin. You have the old fighting against the young. And what this does is creates the first division within the black community. And it also instills a faith in white America for survival and an optimal lifestyle. So that's where you see the emergence of coons, essentially. Black folk who feel that, yo, it's only through our white slave masters that we can have a better life. If um, Charlemagne, he had made reference to a famous slave in South Carolina, in Charleston. I forget the slave's name, but what he did was, yo, he was like, okay, I'm not getting nowhere trying to negotiate and talk to these white folk for the betterment of my people. What I'm going to do is organize the slave revolt. He, the slave revolt was organized. The plan was set. The time was right. And the people were ready to move. The night before the slave revolt happens, one dumb... <clears throat> he went out and snitched to the slave master. Which led to everybody getting arrested and everybody getting killed. The night before the slave revolt happened. So you can see how, you know what I'm saying, we've allowed, you know, our community mindset to be whitewashed into a crabs in a barrel mindset. Where if one or the collective of us starts to make it out of the barrel, there's always going to be that one coon that pulls us all back down. And that is still very, very prevalent all the way up till today. So... We do have to take some sort of ownership for that because we need to hold each other accountable and we need to hold each other responsible for staying connected to your community. We have done nothing to promote a community mindset. We have done nothing to hold others accountable in maintaining that community mindset, which is a very big reason as to why we are the way we are today. So next we move into systemic racism. And I do have to make a confession. When I first was drawing up the script and you know putting all the all the information together, I had a star on systemic racism because I initially felt that this is the one category in which black America takes zero blame. Systemic racism is essentially how white America has used, you know, government and laws to suppress, disenfranchise, and keep the black community at the bottom of the financial food chain. So because we're not the ones making the laws, how can we be held accountable for, you know what I'm saying, the impact of the laws? However, as I was continuing to, you know, you know, plan out the final script and put everything together, it's like, yo... It really dawned on me that, yo, we do have blame to take in systemic race, in even systemic racism, because we abide by the laws. 
we feed into the system. We don't revolt against the 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 way it cripples our community. We simply continue to feed into it and have white America grow richer and richer off of our blood and our backs. It's really it, it really got me upset because I was kind of I was kind of happy <laughs> in a sense where it's like systemic racism, I'm coming for the white man. You guys did this, you guys did that, and all this stuff to us, and you saying, and you guys are just ruthless, and it's not our fault. But it's like, damn, I had to come to the realization that, yo, it really is our fault as well. So systemic racism really comes into play after the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment are ratified. Now, the Emancipation Proclamation frees all the slaves. Cool. However, the 13th Amendment specifically specifically says slavery on this land is abolished except as punishment for a crime and this is done intentionally to create a loophole within the law to recreate a free labor force when all the slaves get emancipated it's like yo these white slave owners are like, yo, how are we going? Where's our workforce going to come from? Where is our labor coming from? Because you know white people lazy. They ain't going to want to do the work. Yet yeah, they call us lazy. But that's beside the point. So the 13th Amendment created a loophole within the law to regain this free labor force. And what do states begin to do? They start to enact what are known as black codes. Now, black codes are, in essence, a legal way to send a black person to jail for the pettiest of offenses. Literally, the pettiest of offenses. So, if a black person don't have a job, you're going to jail. If a black person don't have a house, you're going to jail. If a black person is selling produce without a permit, ah, you're going to jail. <laughs> Where, so you can see the whitewashing is very heavy and still very strong in today. So, again, they're making the pettiest of offenses. You steal a lollipop from a candy store, you are going to jail. They made them felony crimes in order to send black folk to jail. And once you're in jail, you can now legally be a slave. Crazy. Next, we see the systemic denial of wealth. Now, the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment, they didn't come with any type of reparations for the freed slaves. It's not like they said, hey man, you guys are all free. Sorry about slavery. Here's a lump sum of money. Go out and be great. Hell nah. They said, you guys are free figure it out all while plotting on the side of how to keep us down now when you look at the jewish community after the holocaust how were they able to get their reparations they demanded it they was like nah nah b i'm not gonna bangs with you the same way i'm not gonna work with you the same way until a you admit and apologize for what you did to us then you pay us for what you did to us. And they got their reparations. Yet we complain that the government 
has not given us any sort of reparation when we haven't required any sort of reparation because we continue to do the work and we continue to build their cities and we continue to clock into their companies. So during the reconstruction era, we start to see sharecropping become very popular. Now sharecropping is essentially a black man gets, gets freed, a black slave gets freed. However, we don't have any means to provide for our family. So what do I do? I go to a white landowner and they lease out the land to me in exchange for a majority portion of all of the produce that I, you know, produce. <laughs> so all this work I'm putting on all the crops that I grow, the livestock that I raise, the white man, the white landowner is getting a majority portion of that and I'm just, whatever's left, I get to figure it out and figure out how I'm going to feed my family off of that. And I made a really shocking discovery this week while writing out the script and getting all my notes together working a full-time job today is a modern form of sharecropping and i say this because conceptually they are the same i don't have the wealth or the means to provide for my family so what do i do i go to a white landowner I go to a white company, I go to any job which is most likely ran by white folk and I enlist my time, my services and my labor only to receive a fraction of the value I've provided. I put in, you can't go to your job and say, hey, I brought in $2 million worth of business to this company, I want a million dollar paycheck. They're going to laugh at you because you don't own the work you do. Seems pretty hand in hand to me. So it made me wonder, why do we continue to share crap? Why do we continue to feed into this system? And what can we do to break out of this system? The, the answer to why we continue to do it is Simply, white America has devised a network of distractions for black America. They effectively have distracted us with bills, debt, and family so that we are left restricted. You're not going to call out of work because you got to feed your kids, right? Yeah, get to work, nigger. That's probably how they're thinking. So now it's like, how do we get out, Steve? Me, my, I came up with a pretty simple solution. Um, imagine, imagine if the black community was so connected on a nationwide level to where we came together and said, hey, for this week, this predetermined week, we are going to call out of every black person in the country and every white person or every minority who wants to get on board <laughs> is going to call out of work each day until we get reparations for the black community. I, me, in my personal opinion, I feel like we'd get those reparations before the week is over. I guarantee it. However, why can't a plan like that work? 
is because we are not connected on that level nationwide. The first thing someone's going to tell you when you bring up that type of idea to them is, are you going to pay me for this week? Nigga. That's, that's the first thing they probably going to say. So therefore, it shows that us as a community, we are not willing to sacrifice anything in order to gain more. It, that's it, black and white. It, period. That's, that's what that tells me. As a community, we are not willing to sacrifice in order to gain for the community. It's all about the individual. I got to feed my kids. I got to pay this bill. I rent's due. You going to pay me for this week of work that you suggesting I miss casually? I don't know what else to say after that. So the next way we see systematic denial of wealth in America is what's called redlining. Now, if you didn't know this, it is a wide known fact that home ownership is the most direct avenue to generational wealth. Keyword generational wealth. So what did white banks do? They pulled up a map and they started to outline black communities in red marker, which is why it's called redlining. And anytime someone came to their bank who was from one of these communities to request a loan for a house or a business or whatever it may be, they would deny the loan. And on the flip side, what, black, what white banks started to do was what's known as predatory lending. What they would do using the exact same map they would go into these black communities and they would offer black folks loans. However, the terms of the loans were so disgusting that it would, in effect, strip wealth from the community as opposed to implementing wealth into the community through the loan. It's ruthless but genius, as Jay-Z put it. So it's pretty safe to say that white America will never finance black empowerment because simply they profit off of our struggle. Next, we see the destruction of the black family. So, you know, all, all that was, all the systemic denial of wealth, that's taken place all through the years. And we start to see the destruction of the black family around the time of the civil rights movement and integration. So what first begins to happen after, you know, after integration kicks in, and Dr. King, he warned us about this, we start to see the deindustrialization of the black community. They start shutting down the factories in the black communities. They start canceling vocational and agricultural programs in black high schools. So we're not learning how to use our hands and therefore we're not learning how to create and build anything for ourselves. So now black men and women are literally stuck here like, well, I don't know what to do with my hands now because you guys took everything away from us. White America, what do they do? They say, word, you need something to do with your hands? We're going to give you something to do with your hands. Insert the crack epidemic of the 80s. <laughs> so the crack epidemic, which was facilitated by the CIA, this is common knowledge, and yet there's still no formal apology for this, people. We know about it. They know we know about it, and yet they still don't even want to give us a sorry. But yet we still clock into their jobs. 
I'm not going to go into that too much just because y'all going to get me tight. So the crack epidemic, the war on drugs, and we see the mass incarceration of the black man. After they implement crack into our communities, your parents is doing one of two things. They either smelling, selling it or smoking it. And the police don't give a damn about whichever one you're doing. You're going to jail. And because of the mass incarceration, you know what I'm saying? They sending black men to jail by the boatload. We see private prisons and the penal labor system starts to boom. Because again, the 13th Amendment says slavery is legal if it's for the punishment of a crime. So now you have all these inmates in private prisons and they start to lease these inmates to private companies in order to do their work legally. <laughs> Moving to the 90s and you insert the crime bill. Now, one of the biggest provisions of the crime bill that I recently learned about was the removal of higher education for inmates. So now black men are going into prison ignorant and coming out just as ignorant. And if you know a little bit about jail culture, it's kind of like quicksand. Once you get in, it's, it, it's structured to bring you right back in. There's no type of rehabilitation or reintegration for convicts after they serve their sentence. So you let them out and they gonna find their way to come right back in, thus recycling the penal labor system and putting millions and billions into the hands of white America. And I was, to even dig into that a little bit deeper, think about it. If all the black fathers are being sent to prison. Who's raising the black sons? Who's, who's raising the black daughters? If integration now allows black men to marry white women, and because we've been beat since the first slave ship to think that being black is probably the worst thing that I could be, Therefore, being, marrying a black woman is the worst thing I can do to myself. We, we just go out and run, run out and marry a whole bunch of white women. So now we are making, we, we are literally stomping on our biggest support system, the black woman. Now the black woman becomes bitter towards the black man. And when a black woman has a, a child by a black man who up and did her dirty, she is now transferring that bitterness to the child. And now the child doesn't know the value of a black man, of a real black man. And now we are going out searching for it in the streets, in our community, which gave rise to the violence, the violent nature of gang culture. Most gang culture wasn't established to as a violent entity, but because we have such an influx of misguided young men, the violence begins to pick up and the ignorance begins to stay within the community because there's nobody teaching. All the men are in jail. So we move into the 90s. Oh no, we move into the 2000s. Um, and you have what's called the faith-based initiative. And the faith-based initiative essentially what essentially happens with that is white, no, black 
churches are now being funded by black, by white money. And what this does, it in effect removes the black church from the black progressive movement. There's a Black Lives Matter rally going on. White folks say, hey, 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 hey. Don't you dare think about going out to support that rally or we're going to cut your funding. And one thing we know about black America is black folk have, and this is across the globe, black folk have, even white folk too, but we have an undying loyalty to the church even when the church don't do nothing for us. So when the church is removed from the black progressive movement, it now removes all of the church members, which is the majority of the black community, from the black progressive movement. Therefore, we aren't able to mobilize. Therefore, we aren't able to come together and nothing gets pushed forward past the protest. That's as far as we can make it. <laughs> Ruthless. Genius. Now we move into category three, which is the education and the miseducation of the black community. Now, after the removal of these vocational and agricultural skills programs, the curriculum in high school becomes universally based around white history, math, and science. That's it. So, and I relate to this personally because my school district, the school district I went to for elementary, middle school, high school, was very well funded. You know what I'm saying? So we had the resources, we had the fields, we had the tools, we had the textbooks, we had the teachers, you know what I'm saying? We had all these things that a strong school district should have, all the funding and all the resources. However, the curriculum did not instill any type of black heritage or black pride within me. And that's why I say I was so sheltered from the, the relations of the racial climate outside of my, com outside of my um, community because I just didn't know better. They wasn't teaching me in school. They wasn't giving me any reason to believe that this, these type of things were actually happening. And when February came around, you got your Black History Month and we talk about all the good things that black people do. However, for the rest of the year, it's the same stuff. White history, math, science. White history, math, science. So what I came to realize from having conversations with people who came from districts that weren't as funded, we have the same level of ignorance. So who's really privileged? Sometimes those lower funded districts have more of a connection to black history and black culture because it's black educators. However, you have a well-funded school district with majority white teachers, you know what I'm saying? They can't instill that in me. It's very hard for them to instill that in me. And because the curriculum be tricking them, they're not teaching us nothing of substance. So... And that in itself creates another demographic within the black community for us to fight each other. Oh, you went to a suburb school district. You went to an urban school district. Oh, you must have been privileged. Nah, and, this, that. and now we have city versus suburb beef. When it's like, yo, across the board, they teaching us the same things. Nothing. So... 
we move into <laughs> next we move into the system that was implemented known as higher education aka college so what began to happen was quality jobs began requiring these things called degrees and the only way to get a degree is to go to college so this system this plan effectively funneled students from high school into college however because of the cost of college most black people couldn't afford it which is what they wanted they're not trying to send black people to college they're trying to send white people to college because they know white people most likely have white wealth to afford this higher education and to now earn this degree so that they can be hired to these high profile jobs <laughs> however the government they're like well even though we've we even though we've created this for the white for the white advancement we can still profit off of black people so what do we start doing the government and private banks begin to loan out money, obscene amounts of money, for the purpose of higher education. Solely for the purpose of higher education. So now as more black people start to earn degrees, the white system begins to create a new standard. First is the associate's degree, then it's the bachelor's degree, then it's the master's, then it's your doctorate, and then up and up. And each new level comes with a higher price tag. And this creates a win-win situation for white America. Because one of two things is going to happen. Let's say you get your bachelor's degree and you want to get your master's. Either A, I'm not going to have the money... Well, most likely, I'm not going to have the money to fund this master's program. So what do I do? Either A, I go to a private institution, a bank, and I take out a loan for this master's program, thus bringing me into deeper debt all while working, you know, maybe two, three jobs while in the program in order to finance it and get through it. Now we're literally running ourselves into the ground for this white standard or you're going to be discouraged by the cost and simply give up either way white america wins and because it's like it's just the same system it's like okay you got your masters now you need a doctorate for this job okay i'm going to sign another loan put myself in another hundred thousand dollars of debt in order to get to earn this degree and in hopes that I get the job. In hopes that I get the job. Crazy. So, because the white... No. Because the standard of excellence that is adopted in black America is white-owned, our miseducation continues to recycle. We keep pushing our kids to either go to college or give up. Therefore, not providing them any other avenues of how to create and build wealth. You got to go to school. You got to go to school. You got to go to school. And that's very... Pre and again, this is black culture across the globe. Quick 
shout out quick announcement um in episode two i said that i was working towards you know finishing my degree last semester i finished guys thank you i think i made this announcement i think i finished it however my degree came in this week came in two days ago <laughs> and i showed my mom like yo mom here you go here's your degree <laughs> and she's she's you know she's celebrating and all that good stuff and the first thing she says to me is so when you getting the masters nigga you gonna pay for that i don't even need a masters and thinking back on it now it's like as much fun as i had it in college as much memories and as much great people i met in college i wouldn't trade them for the world yes but if i could go back and redo it i probably wouldn't go to college because the business that I'm growing for myself now, I, for those that don't know, I have established a marketing, a full service digital marketing business called Empath Marketing. You can go visit us at empathmarketing.net. If you have a business, um, whether you're just starting or you're a little bit established and you want to grow your online presence, reach out to me. I can help you. I'm doing free uh, marketing consultations so we can sit down, break down where your company's at and see how I can help you out. So again, the, the website is empathmarketing.net. Now, that business that I'm building for myself doesn't require a degree from, from me. It does not require me getting a degree. The nonprofit organization that is Thoughts of an Empath doesn't require a, a, a bachelor's in marketing from me. So it's like all the things that I'm currently working on to make a better situation for myself don't require this piece of paper that cost me fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars worth of debt. And if I could go back, you think I'd do it again? Mm, probably not. However, I wasn't given the knowledge that there are different avenues to accumulate and grow wealth. And that just, that's mainly because our parents didn't have that type of knowledge. Whether black, whether African, whether Caribbean, whether Latino, we didn't have that knowledge that this is how America works. Because they made sure not to teach us this. And they made sure to, you know, hype up the effect of college and degrees so much to the point that we ignore the vocational programs that are a fraction of the cost of college but can help you build just as much wealth as a corporate ceo we we consciously ignore these programs and send our kids and sign loans for a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars for education meanwhile i can't even get a 10k business loan from a bank <laughs> so we move into number four, financial literacy. I ain't gonna hold you guys. I'm gonna have a little bit of fun with this one. Um, I know I should be supporting the black community, but I'm a strong proponent of tough love because tough love weeds out the weak. People who are strong, they are able to absorb tough love. They are able to implement and process that that tough love make themselves better and do better however the weak ones 
they receive tough love and they they get offended. They get in their feelings. They shut down and they no longer want to listen. Just like I told you in last just like I told you in last episode, if you are not ready to fight for what you want and fight for what you need, go back to the jungle, live the Hukuna Matata lifestyle. I ain't going to judge you. However, those who are ready to work, those who are ready to fight and be on the front lines, they have the mental capacity to to take tough love, improve themselves, and do better for themselves and the community around them. So, financial literacy. Quick fun fact. The spending power of black America is valued at one point two trillion dollars which would effectively make us the 10th or 11th richest nations in the world in the entire world it would make us the 10th or 11th richest nation however because of our poor spending habits on a community-wide level the community itself never sees that wealth never we have an infatuation with symbols of white wealth. So our spending goes to designer clothing, foreign cars, jewelry, as opposed to going towards property, land, and assets. Things that actually appreciate as opposed to depreciating. And that alone, I don't even need to go into detail as to how that's detrimental to our community. I don't need to give y'all because that should be common knowledge. That's common sense. So now when black folk who get some type of business business knowledge and, you know, OK, OK, they have some type of business savvy. They want to pursue business endeavors. They want to pursue entrepreneurship and build something for themselves, which is great. I applaud you and I support you. What I've noticed, because of our lack of financial literacy, we start to gravitate more towards horizontal integration. For example, I have a storefront selling whatever. When that storefront starts booming and I start making some money off it, the next thing I want to do is build another storefront. When that next storefront starts booming, the next thing I want to do is build another storefront and so on and so on and so on. However, we never think to integrate vertically where it's, I have this strong supply network from my storefronts. Now I'm going to integrate and create a distribution network. Most times we are going to a third party to distribute our products from us to customers that are not in the area of our storefronts. However, if I accumulate a certain amount of wealth and I'm able to integrate vertically where I now have the product and I now own the distribution of my product as well, I'm not breaking bread with that third-party white company. I'm not breaking bread with anybody to ship my products to these places. And a perfect example, a beautiful example of this is Jay-Z, Beyonce, and their um, creation of title first thing that you need to have is you need to own your product 
you need to own what you're supplying. If you don't own it, you never, you're not going to make real money off of it. So they own their music. They own their brand. They own their image. And they understand that between the two, individually, their reach is global. So collectively, that's a very powerful force. So what does, what do Jay-Z and Beyonce do? They create a distribution network. Instead of going to Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, iHeartRadio, or whatever, all these streaming services to facilitate their product to different people while, you know, for a cut of that profit, they create the distribution network themselves. Now you have Tidal. And they make their product, because they own it, exclusive to their distribution network. Now, if you want to listen to Jay-Z, if you want to listen to some Beyonce, you have to go get Tidal. And because they have such influence globally, it directly funnels them. It directly funnels the, the their supporters and their people right to their distribution network. And now they keep all of those profits, which now they can reinvest into different businesses and different avenues to create generational wealth. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Vertical integration. Remember that. Go research that. So... Me personally, I have zero issue against people who accumulate wealth illegally. Zero problem against y'all. I ain't gonna snitch. So that's 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 just that. However, to all of the drug dealers, to all the scammers, to whoever, to bootleggers, whatever you're doing, please, 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 please. Find a way to legitimize your business. That is the only way you are going to build generational wealth. You have to legitimize your business. Jay-Z, again, he told us this front and center. If you heard the freestyle he had um, at Webster Hall, I believe it was last weekend that it came out. He literally told us, yo, we was only making about a $1,000 per brick. So those 92 bricks was only 92,000. You can close your mouth now. There ain't nothing in a while. He's letting us know that you can't build generational wealth with $92,000, $100,000, $150,000. You're not building generational wealth with that. You may be able to accumulate that illegally, but at some point, there's only so far you can get by accumulating wealth illegally. Sooner or later, they gon' bag you and they gon' lock your ass up. However, if you're able to legitimize your business the same way all the white crime organizations did, then we'll be able to build that generational wealth. However, again, we don't know how to use our money. And because we're so arrogant, it prevents us from learning how to use our money. Case in point, tell a black person that they should buy this instead of this. What's the first thing they're going to say? Nigga, who the hell are you to tell me how to use my money? Last but definitely not least, if, if anything, the most importantly, <laughs> we move into category five. 
accountability, and the loss of the community mindset, which has resulted in our failure to mobilize. Now, do me a favor, people. You know, let's use our imaginations for a little bit. Imagine if everybody who was at the Rock Nation brunch pooled their money together to create a nationwide system of black-owned banks. How powerful would that be for our community? Imagine if every professional athlete in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, the MLB pooled their money together, bought land throughout the country, and established a nationwide network of black-owned agricultural and vocational schools and farms where young black kids or old black people can come in, learn how to grow crops, learn how to raise livestock, learn how to use their hands, and find a job right on the farm after they finish, after they graduate the program. How powerful would that be for our community? That's fresh produce, baby. Black owned. Imagine if every successful black entrepreneur pooled their money together to create a nationwide black owned logistics and distribution network to get the fresh produce from the black owned farms straight to the black owned grocery stores. How powerful would that be for our community? To, to assist the young entrepreneur with getting her handmade product that she makes at her crib from her to her customers across the country at a fair price. How powerful would that be for our community? However, the general sentiment is that no one makes it their personal responsibility. No one takes personal accountability for the advancement of our community. We've allowed capitalism to whitewash our community mindset. And it's no secret that capitalism is based on self. It's, no, it's very obvious. How is it obvious? Because white people don't help poor, rich white people don't help poor white people. They leave us in the same mess and nasty situations that they put us in. If capitalism was community based, <laughs> there'd be no white, poor white people. They would have been uplifting white folk for centuries. And Martin Luther King recognized this, which is why he says, I fear I may have integrated my people into a burning building. Because without a doubt, white America is a burning building. Without a doubt. And by integrating us into that building, he essentially, in, but inadvertently, set us up to be oppressed even further. Because white America will consume itself if it doesn't have someone to oppress. <laughs> and the only thing keeping the building of white America from being swept up in a burning blaze 
is the piles and piles and piles of black bodies lined up to slow it down. <laughs> Which leaves us with a choice. We can either, you know, convince white America to empower us and to finance our empowerment so that we can help with quelling this fire. Or we can break the hell up out the building and start to build a new building, a greater building, one that's built off of community and love. That's, that's what I see for black America. That's what I pray for for black America. I may not see it in my lifetime. Most likely I won't see it in my lifetime. But I'm committed to staying the course now and when I have kids to implement them with that vision. That is not just about us. It's not just about making money. Follow your dreams. Yes. Do what you love. Find your passion. But make community a passion of yours as well. So it's, it's all a matter of choice. Whether we want to choose to spread the love or choose to stay in the same situation. But one thing I've noticed is that the ignorance and the arrogance of black America has made us blind to matters of choice. And I'm going to leave y'all with one final example to support that before I, I, I close up. I think it was either last year or the year before, Kanye West went on TMZ and said, we were enslaved for 300, 400 years. That sounds like a choice to me. Black America went off. Kanye age. He's an Uncle Tom. He's a sellout. Someone, we're canceling Kanye. Someone shut him up. He's crazy. He's ignorant. He doesn't know what he's talking about. A little bit of time goes by and Black Panther hits theaters. One of the most powerful quotes and scenes in the movie, according to Black America, is when Killmonger says, bury me at the bottom of the ocean with my ancestors who jumped from the ships for they knew that death was better than bondage. Black America went off. Killmonger for president. That's our guy. Killmonger's an OG. He's a real one. And we felt a sense of pride every time we repeated that quote. And we were and we were ready to go up in arms for, for that quote. Hmm. However, me personally. I feel like they said the exact same thing from two different perspectives. No, 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 I don't feel it. I know. They said the exact same thing from two different perspectives. Kanye simply said, slavery was a choice. And I questioned those who chose slavery. Killmonger said, slavery was a choice. And I praise those who chose death. 
yet as a community we can't even see the similarities between the two to this day we are still willing to argue that Kanye is ignorant and you know he's foolish to even remotely say that slavery was a choice when in fact it was don't get me wrong I don't condemn or question those who chose slavery however I understand that the choice was always there there is always a choice nothing is ever out of our power but choices only make a difference on a community level when the community as a whole makes the same choice I love you guys and I really want to see us win but we have to choose to win and this is a challenge to each generation to the generation before mine I fall into the millennials generation to the generation before mine my challenge to you is to take accountability for the ignorance because my generation and the generation after we need to hear it we need to hear that we've been led astray we need to hear it because there will never be any type of reconciliation between the generations if that's not established. The older generation needs to understand that, hey, this is what we were taught and we were taught wrong. So therefore, we inadvertently taught you guys wrong and we're sorry. The millennials generation, the challenge is to use this newfound resource we have called the internet. What makes us the most important generation is that we're a bridge. And the only reason we're a bridge is because of the implementation of technology. The internet boomed in 2000. So we know life before the internet. And we've seen the capabilities of technology over the 19 years after which is why we don't want to work nine to fives and work till we're 65 and all that good stuff. I support you. So use the internet to learn. We have an unlimited amount of information at our fingertips, ladies and gentlemen. Let's use it. Let's leverage it. And let's teach. Let's teach the old and the young. Because again, we have, to, we have to bridge that gap in order for our community to move forward. And to the younger generation, my challenge to you is to have patience. To have the patience to learn from those older than you that are implementing these ideals into you. To have the patience to understand that America's not going to change in one day. To have the patience to understand that you guys have the gift of youth. And therefore, you have something that nobody older than you has. You have time. You have the time. And if you use that time wisely, you'll be able to leave a much better country for your kids than that was left for us. Again, I love you guys. I appreciate y'all. Remember, do the research, come back, comment, come back, share whatever information y'all have, 
And I'll see y'all next time, baby. I hope you have an amazing, blessed day. Hopefully it gets a little bit warmer out. So this weather's been getting me tight, no lie. But enjoy it, ladies and gentlemen. We keep going fly shit when the camera's cut. Double up. Yeah. Three or four times. I ain't telling no lies. I just run it up. Never let a hard time humble us.